It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at cboc.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts at cboc.com. Welcome. I'm Dr. Jeremy Lookabaugh, Industrial Organizational Psychology Consultant and Workplace Communication and Negotiation Coach. Welcome to the Work Cookie Podcast. Tom is not here today, so unfortunately, I will be moderating to the chagrin of everyone here at the live event today. Today, we are talking about cultivating a culture of empowerment, employee engagement, and holistic development. I'll remind everyone this is, and if you're listening to the podcast, Feel free to join us every Thursday at noon Eastern Standard Time. It is a open mic. You come, you raise your hand, you share your insights. And if you're here, uh, open mic, feel free to raise your hand and share your insights. There's a couple main articles and they'll be in the show notes. The one that I want to start with is from the Journal of Eastern European and Central Asian Research. It's called Employee Engagement and Empowerment as Gateway Towards Retention, the case of the Volkswagen Group. So we're going to talk and we've got to keep in mind that engagement and empowerment are two different things, but they do matter to each other. Let's start with employee engagement. So employee engagement, and there's various definitions. There's going to be two different ones that we cling on for today. Employee engagement involves motivating and inspiring employees to contribute to the organization. And then we look at empowerment. That's more concerned with autonomy and giving employees the authority to make decisions. There's an interesting little caveat here because some people, it's like a chicken or the egg. Is employee engagement something that are we really motivating and inspiring employees or does engagement come from employees first and we work it that way around? The other thing to think about this, a lot of a lot of organizations, this is a side note, I've mentioned this before, a lot of people think, how do we motivate employees? How do we engage and inspire employees? Another way to think about it is employees are already motivated. They have a reason to go to work. They applied and they got the job for a reason. Employees do have a level of motivation. Part of that is start asking the self-check question of how can we remove barriers to motivation? So rather than how do we motivate employees, how can we move barriers, things that are already keeping them from from being motivated? And there's a couple other definitions that we'll get into later. We'll get into some of the benefits of employee empowerment, some of the problems when employees aren't empowered. And we'll get into a lot of talk about retention, very specific things about what managers can do, what employee obstacles are to this type of thing, what obstacles managers have, especially when we're looking at things like power distance. But to start off, so when we look at these two concepts together, and I'm taking from this uh, article that I that I mentioned, when you put the empowerment piece and the engagement piece together, they can have a significant effect on job satisfaction, which means there's an increase in their drive to do work, make decisions because you have that autonomy piece. And then in there, we have that decrease in the turnover rate. We're going to look at, you know, during our, our talk today, we'll look at the difference between work satisfaction or work commitment team satisfaction and team commitment and organizational commitment as well, because there are different types of commitment. Some companies have 
your go-getters and they think, man, this person could not be more committed to the company. They're a go-getter. They're super on task, but there's blind spots that every organization has. And one of those blind spots might be, how do they work with a team? How are they communicating, especially if they're in a leadership position? And it's a blind spot because they see, you know, employee working on the weekends, working at night, just going and going and going and putting out great work. They might have good job commitment. They might like their job and what they do. And especially if you're in a leadership position, liking your job and what you're doing in terms of tasks is good. Not a problem with that. But especially when we're looking at, I mean, you can look at any levels. Think about how the interactions with the, with the team is and what the alignment is with the team goals and the organization's goals. Because there are employees who put their head down and they're just driven and driven. But there's a lot of things, a lot of other factors that could contribute to a taking their productive stance and their productive nature and helping it really drive the company and the particular team forward. Linda Ann, I see you have your hand raised. Let's go to Linda Ann. So I really enjoy this conversation and this distinction, right, between empowerment and engagement. And as a person had that's had to do recruiting for organizations, the lack of employee empowerment was a huge frustration for me because employers will typically say, oh, I want this unicorn. And you, you know, scour the earth to find this employee that they're looking for with all these skill sets and and all these kinds of things. You get them hired and then they're put in a straitjacket. They're not allowed to do and use all those skills that they were looking for. They are they're they're completely hindered and by being put in this box and they're not given the opportunity to use all those decision making skills, those leadership skills, all those kinds of things in the organization. And I think that leaders really need to understand the value of empowering employees, but I don't think they have the skills yet to understand how to do that. I think that's a um, leadership skill that's that's being overlooked as as being valuable. And then on the engagement side, that is, I think, really showing people the the direction. It's just keeping people focused on the direction and how it makes a difference to both the company and to them in advancement, in in growth and development, all those kinds of things. But I, I really think that and that causes the lack of empowerment causes a lot of the turnover where they're just feeling stifled. And you mentioned a couple of different things. What happens when employees don't feel empowered? And then you also mentioned like, what are the real roadblocks to managers doing this? Is it their skill and training? There's some very specific things that I'm going to pull from this. One of our other re references for today. This one's called a review of literature on the, these names are so long, aren't they? The re a review of literature on the associations among employee empowerment, work engagement, and perf and employee performance. That's in modern applied science. So very specifically, uh, we look at empowerment and what they call disempowerment. So that's kind of what you're saying. What's the pro What happens if they're not empowered? So some of the benefits of empowerment, and this isn't this this article is more specific to the hotel industry, like the tourism industry. So you can see that with what I'm going to say next. The benefits of empowerment, you've got quicker dealing with complaints, more customer satisfaction, more repeat business, well-motivated staff, improved labor stability, increased productivity, lower labor, labor cost, high quality, high profits, more responsive service. 
what happens when they're not empowered? Limited authority to meet service needs, slowly dealing with complaints from senior managers, high level of cost in generating new customers, low morale, poor motivation, high labor turnover, low productivity, low quality, low pro, on and on and on. So it's, all right, what's what's going on in your organization now is a question to ask. What is your day to day? And then how can your tomorrow be better? When I read through, you know, if you're listening, the benefits of empowerment versus the problems of disempowerment, it doesn't make sense to have dissatisfaction with the current state your company's in and move forward. Some of the obstacles here are with employee empowerment, it it, it makes sense, right? Managers, and I'm, I'm reading here some of the obstacles, managers don't want to share their power. We talk about this all the time. That's the paradox of power from Cousins and Posner. In order to become powerful, you have to give power away. But managers, they want that power distance. So they don't want to share that. They also fear losing, fear losing control. There's also that trust information sharing. They don't want people to be leaking ideas. They don't want knowledge to go to, to competitors. So there's that trust issue with how employees might handle information. And they're also, they're not too convinced that employees will be able to make the decisions that the leaders are, of course, so, so good at in, in their own mindset. And there's, then there's just that resistance to change. Something to consider is when empowering employees, we look at autonomy. This can employees don't just say, "Great, they're letting me do what I want." There's some hesitation there. They don't want to be responsible for decisions. They don't want to be blamed for mistakes, and they also don't want to obviously to rock the boat. So they might not be as interested in empowerment. And if it's the culture is not one, that's where the communication comes in. And the, the last thing I'll mention here, because there's some helpful things that managers can do to mitigate those obstacles, the manager and the employee obstacles. And one thing is, of course, and, and turn if you're if you're in this space and you're listen, listening, you're here today and you're thinking, how can we mitigate those obstacles? Turn what I'm going to say into self-check questions. One way is building mutual trust between managers and employees. Think about reduction of fear. And encourage people to make their own decisions. And reduction of fear, people have fears all the time. A self-check question that I coach people on is, think about your fear. Is it a legitimate fear or not? Or is it just one of these whirlwind things that you just have this ruminating fear? Sometimes we really look at things and say, "It's I'm not re- really fearful of it. I can't remember where I learned this a while back, but if you're, there's something you're fearful of, and if you say, I'm afraid of blank, if you say it five times, seven times, you start to see whether or not it's a ridiculous fear because it starts to just ingrain, uh, uh, engrave itself, I guess, into your brain, what you're really saying you're fearful of. That said, looking at the training for managers, uh, there's a lot of talk in this literature about transformational leadership versus transactional leadership. And then, of course, my overall question is how and can we really change someone's style to make it more transformational, right? And then, of course, embedding that into part of an organization's culture. So it's not just training and giving the proper materials. Hey, you have the authority to make these decisions, but you have to ingrain it in the culture so that people aren't feeling like they're stepping on each other's toes. Let's go to Lee. As you know, I'm going to do. I'm going to throw. I'm going to throw a, a kink in the whole thing. In my organization, I work for you know a consulting company, so there's already that that you know I, I'm working for someone else that. I don't actually work for. And then I employ a lot of subcontractors. In fact, the uh, the majority of my team are subcontractors. So I have limited 
tools in the toolbox for that sort of thing. You know, there's, there's a lot of perks and whatnot that my organization may have that I can't get subs because they don't work for my organization. So now, you know, this is where you really kind of got to, you got to lean on the leadership training that, you know, we, we talk about so much because thankfully I've got a boss that lets me do my stuff and she doesn't want to deal with it. So she, you know, she wants me to, to deal with it so she doesn't have to. She's got many other fish to fry. So fortunate there, but I have to figure out ways to empower those people who only tangentially work for me. So, you know, so how do you do that? I mean, there's only so much you can do, you know, and a lot of this comes down to kind of the coaching aspect of what we do is talking to the, the, the team and say, okay, guys, you know, what is it that you want to do? Where do you want to go? What do you want to get out of this position, you know, and find out things that I can do. Okay. So maybe you don't like that task, but you like this one. Maybe I can, I can slip in a little bit of time for a little bit of extra training to put you on a special project. So that I can take people and I can recognize their their skill sets, either that they already have or that they want to strengthen. And I can kind of shuffle around a little bit to do some special tasks, to do some projects, to do to answer data calls that maybe they're interested in. And because we open that up and we empower them to do their jobs and to not micromanage them, I went from huge turnover when I took this job to almost zero turnover. Because people are engaged and they actually are enjoying what they're doing and they're not, they're feeling heard. They're not feeling so stressed out because they're, you know, we're listening to them and we're actually doing what we can do. Uh, even though, you know, I got some pretty cool tools in my toolbox that I can't use for them. So there you go. Do what you will with that. I guess that goes to you, Dan, since I don't think we lost Jeremy. And we might have lost Jeremy on that. So how about Nick? Follow up to Lee. Yeah, it's um, it's an interesting conversation because when you really splice out, you know, engagement and empowerment, yeah, there is kind of a cyclical nature between the two. I think one caution, you know, I think everybody in this room could qualify as organizational optimists that, you know, people will listen and people will put these great ideas into play, but we're making an assumption that the employee wants to engage. You know, we talk about the rewards of work and Lee just kind of set up the idea of rewarding work or, you know, creating projects that, you know, hit the, the likes of the job for, for whoever's there. But, you know, we, we constantly struggle with the idea about, well, what about the person who's just there for a paycheck? Are they going to, are they going to buy in? Are they going to get excited? Are they going to engage? Are they going to enter into the conversation with the organization about what they're doing, whether they're empowered or not? And you can have kind of the other disconnect where you've given somebody all the tools in the world, but if they're not engaged with the the mission of the organization, they could be leading you off the rails. So I think there's there's a lot of interplay between the two. And it, it does come down to kind of a cultural idea and what what do you want your organization to be and how do you how do you measure success among people? Um, it's that that addition to the bottom line that is is so hard to to define sometimes. And these you know impacts take weeks, months, years to, to really be felt. Um, and one great manager can can solve a lot of problems and one bad manager can can set you back uh in a pretty significant way that's good of you rich well i don't have i don't know if i have an answer at all to what nick was saying because yeah you do have those you know those folks who are like you said they're they're there for the paycheck and when when their job is done they clock out and that's it you know however uh do you think it comes down to uh culture the International Journal of Organizational Leadership put out something last year on uh, human capital, and they were talking about 
POS. Well, POS takes a few different terms in, in the world. Uh, can be a point of sale system. It could be how I referred to my first car. But in this one, it was it had to do with perceived organizational support, which I think is super important. Uh, you know, it's it's how people feel that they're supported in how they contribute to the organization. So if they're discounted, right, or they feel like their thoughts, their opinions, and all of that stuff don't matter, they'll disengage. Why, you know, it doesn't matter to me. You know, it, it doesn't matter to the company. It doesn't matter to me. You know, so. You know, there is that perception of of that, which I think comes down to some training on the leadership side of things for sure, right? Giving the tools to the leadership to understand when and how to give feedback and accept feedback, you know, so we're kind of making the hierarchy a little less hierarchical <laughs> in a way, right? So, and we've seen, we've seen trends in that, but uh, none of this kind of thing is is new. I mean, I, 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 I pulled up like I had PSYOP, but you can still go on and download this. There's a white paper on employee engagement that talks about some of the benefits of, of empowerment. Yeah, I really think like 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 Nick said, it really comes down to culture. You know, you really have to ch- you really have to change the mindset of the people that that are working there and and not just start. I mean, you could start at the top, but you really have to get that buy-in all the way through. So leveraging the relationships within your organization and the people who may be resistors or late adopters to how things work, I think that just takes a lot of relationship building and communication through the organization. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of times if organizations and leaders think about this, when you bring a new employee on, they're primed to be engaged and empowered. Right. And so many times when a new employee comes to an organization, that enthusiasm on both fronts is managed out of them. You know, when I was raising my daughter, I was careful to protect the spirit, that that amazing spirit of the person that you see and and still keep her safe and and um, within reasonable boundaries. Right. And so I think that a lot of times leaders need to to look at it in a similar fashion is I've got this amazing employee that I chose to be part of this team. And now I have to protect that skill set and that spirit and that energy that they naturally will bring to the table. And one way to do that is to make sure you're just keeping them focused on the end game, right? Make decisions that support the end game. Whatever that is, whether it's within the department or organizationally as a whole or as part of your personal development and how does that mesh. But if you do that, they understand the parameters of their decision-making process and you can let them go. Lee, let's go to you. Perfect segue there. That One thing that I think a lot of organizations and a lot of, of managers and leaders don't do well is managing expectations. And we all know onboarding can take a while. I mean, th- this this contract that I'm on, our onboarding and training cycle is like six weeks. And that can be very discouraging because until you have the things, do you have the tools, do you have the accesses, do you have those things, you're very limited on what you can do. Until you learn the things, there's very limited amount of what you can do to contribute to the team in a lot of cases. And, you know, like Lindan said, keeping your eye on the prize is communicating to that new employee, you know, hey, look, I, I realize onboarding is what it is, but there, there is an end goal. There, there are these things that I want you to do. There are these things I hired you to do, and we're going to get there. 
you know, I just ask you to bear with me as we get through the, the this checklist that we're required to do. Because, you know, if you don't communicate with them and they're sitting in the corner, you know, or at least feel like they are doing paperwork or something, they're like, I came here to do great things. Well, yeah, I hear you. I want you to do great things. I heard you to do great things. But you got to do the maintenance before the plane can fly. You got to manage those expectations because, I mean, I've seen a lot of people that have left before their actual onboarding was done because they just got discouraged. I came here to do something and I'm not doing anything and I'm just done. I, mean, I got another opportunity. I'm out. And uh, I think that we're really missing the boat in some organizations right there. Well, thank you for that, Lee, in Tom's vernacular. <laughs> Let's go to Nick. Yeah, it's it's funny you think about kind of the, the hiring and onboarding process, which are too often neglected portions of getting somebody into the organization. And you really do have to to start the process, even with the applicant experience. You know, if you're not responding to emails or you're not or you're creating a barrier to, to application, you might be missing talent out of the gate. And so, you know, are you looking at hiring as something that drives you towards is hiring part of your engagement towards the mission of the organization and how does that influence the decisions you make in that process and then going from there you know getting somebody in the right seat in the right chair all the paperwork eyes dotted t's crossed and really kind of harnessing that excitement of something new whether it's a new idea a new employee new role or whatever it is like you were saying Lynn, where people are excited and they want to go they want to go do great things and they want to you know Go go fight the big monster or whatever it is. And then they have to kind of tie their shoes so they don't trip over anything on the way there. And so you do have to set those those reasonable expectations of yes, you know, we see we see what you want to get, but we have to, you know, do A, B, and C before we get to W. And so it's it's those deliberate choices in those early goings set the tone for how you're going to engage with people throughout their life, the organization. And I think that, again, as we always say, it comes down to culture, it comes down to decision, and it comes down to strategy. Like, you have to, to know what questions to ask. You have to, you know, okay, are we hiring out of need? Are we hiring out of expansion? And how does that influence how we interact with people trying to, to come through the front door? Well said, Nick, and let's move on to Rich. Well, Linda Ann, you said something about protecting somebody, which got me thinking about protege which got me thinking about mentorship, which happens to be in that PSYOP white paper as, as uh, something to, you know, to add to that, uh, you know, corporate culture. And that is something that's missing in onboarding. I mean, most of the organizations I've worked for, you know, the, the, they don't assign a mentor to you, but the savvy people do go and seek mentorship, but maybe adding something like that to the organizational process may, might be something um, that organizations could consider. And case in point, you know, I've been active even to today. I'm, I'm just a merit badge counselor now, but in the scouts, we assign mentors to people all the time. You know, I mean, you've got these individual groups within the troop that are patrols, right? And then you have these individual leaders that are assigned there with their assistants. And the whole idea is that they help to empower and engage and, and, and mentor those who aren't at their level up to where their level is. And the whole thing is about building leadership. You know, I've, I've learned a lot of, a lot of organizational skills through that, through that scouting program that uh, I think can apply to business. If we kind of just look back at, at some of those formative years personally. I, I completely agree that the scouts, the boy scouts in particular have uh, do a lot of things very right. And one of the things when I work in organizations is I help them one of the top things I ask them to do is to develop a, to institute a success mentorship. So for every new hire that comes on board, they are 
provided with a success mentor that is designed to manage and, and help monitor and facilitate their onboarding process to make sure they're onboarded properly and make sure that any skills they need are not falling through the cracks and to give them that support and engagement that they need initially to feel part of the team. Um, it's a whole structured thing. And the additional benefit to that is it's a training ground for leadership. It's a year-long commitment, and they have the opportunity to put their toe into that leadership skill set and start to develop it, see if that's something they are interested in moving forward with or not, and they get that opportunity to be exercising some of those skills in a really limited, safe environment to see if that's something they want to do going forward. So I think that assigning mentors to people as they come on board is is a really key step to being successful in an organization. So thanks for bringing that up, Rich. Alexander, let's go to you. Hey, guys. So I am going to jump on my soapbox of corporate housing. Here in the last few weeks, I've found that there's a new corporate housing coming up for Council Bluffs. And then we also have a new 75-unit corporate housing that's coming into the D.C. area. So these are kind of those areas that I do continue to see people trying to get that engagement as kind of the housing industry is kind of letting smaller families down where people can't afford to start families and stuff. And so this is where I think we're seeing more and more of these companies starting to understand they can not only kind of trap their employees in their employment, but also be able to hopefully get them engaged in a bit more of a community as the kind of real estate industry within the kind of commercial industry, sorry, can't get that word out, is moving away from it and starting to kind of collapse as people don't tend to want to work in these suburbs that people can't afford to live in and everything is moving to more urban areas. Those office spaces have to adapt. So, Alexander, what do you think that, I mean, I understand the upside of of that, you know, because, yeah, especially in Colorado, you know, we experience a lot of people can't, can't live where they work, right? What are some of the downsides on that? I mean, the downsides are fully, you know, you do kind of get into, you've, we've seen this in more Asian countries where your housing is almost a leverage to force you to do things that you wouldn't necessarily want to do for your employer. So those starts to get into that power imbalance. I'm hopeful that we start to see kind of some type of equivalent of like an employee-owned company, but employee-owned housing so that it's more independently governed here in the States is what I'm hopeful will transition to of some type of probably HOA system that hopefully starts to prevent those types of hard exits. You're fired, get out of our housing in the next two days and those type of situations. I see those as being the real downside for this type of situation, but I'm hopeful that we can mitigate it. I don't think every company will though. Yeah. I mean, like my daughter works in a resort nearby um, and they have employee housing, but it's not owned by the resort. Right. So it's they're just different rental rates for employees, those kinds of things. Yeah. A negotiated rate, if you will. So it's all let's is the correct pronunciation of your uh, name. And thank you for joining us on the stage. Thank you, Linda. It's actually pronounced um, Itzel. 
Thank you. <laughs> no worries. Um, so a couple of things I just wanted to um, mention a couple of things. I know earlier we were talking about what's the difference of empowerment and engagement. So to me, when I think of empowerment um, and actually in working in corporate, it goes beyond holding attention and helping people you know, make decisions. So it's like a precursor to action, getting to that stage of emancipation where they're set up to make, you know, decisions. Now, when we think of engagement, we're talking about setting their attention, commitment, and entertaining the employee of sorts. So, for instance, could say, let's say Devon. Devon, he's a junior software developer. He has some experience, but, you know, this is his actual first job. So, in him, his employers are just really focused on engaging him. Um, they invite him to meetings. However, in a few months or so, he has, let's say, a, a technical problem, but he's still waiting for feedback. Unfortunately, he becomes that employee that we dub as the unmanageable. Whereas if you have, for example, Karen, she's a quality manager. She does get regular feedback. You know, the employer is focused on empowering her. So we set her up for success. So. That is kind of my gist. However, the 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 one point um, I do want to mention as far as, you know, we talk about how can we better the workplace? How can we get the buy-in? To me, it honestly starts with onboarding and it starts with the employee experience. A couple of things that we can do to do that is, you know, obviously when it comes to onboarding is mitigating those first day nerves, designating someone that is an onboarding specialist and culture is also aligned to that because you want to make sure that the culture is in, you know, from the moment that they start the whole candidate experience, whether it's, you know, the interview process, whether it's the application, you want to make sure it's unbiased, you want to make sure it's inclusive, because most employees are already going to be excited. You just have to make sure that both the empowerment and the engagement is tied together. And obviously, you know, you want to make them feel like they belong. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's a real key to basically the the empowerment part, because if they can't feel comfortable like they belong, the opportunity for them to ask questions or to investigate and feel psychologically safe is is compromised. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Please subscribe to the podcast because that helps us out and it helps the field of IO. And if you are in or getting into the industrial organizational psychology field and you feel a little lost in the crowd, you're looking for support to jumpstart your career, blaze your IO path, and maybe get the answers that your degree program never gave you about what it's actually like to work as an IO psych practitioner, check out CBOC's IO Career Pathfinder membership at cboc.com. If you're a more established IO practitioner, check out our expert membership to showcase your expertise, build your brand, and be part of our initiatives. Do you lead a university's IO or applied IO psychology program? Go to cboc.com, get in touch to partner with us to build your program's brand and get solid real-world support for your students. Let us do the heavy lifting for their engagement and experiences. And businesses, get in touch. We've got the bank of experts you need for coaching, consultation, and program development and execution. Welcome back. You're listening to Work Cookie, a CBOC podcast. Nick, how about you? Yeah, I think there was something to jump in mind uh, listening to Etel. You know, you talk about designating somebody as an onboarding coordinator. And that's a great idea, but if you're a smaller organization, are you going to have 
the the resources or the capital to be able to to do that or you're going to ask somebody okay we're bringing somebody on we need you to switch gears get them get them here and then go back to your your regular job um so i think that to some degree size does matter you know a great big large organization can have some of these systems in there but a a small family-owned business may may have a different set of challenges and it will shift the way engagement looks you know if you're dealing with a staff of five you have really no choice but to, to interact with the other four people in the office where if you're dealing with a group of five thousand, you know you may have people that you've never met within your organization and getting getting four people to decide where to go to lunch is far easier than getting 10 people to do so so there might be some advantages uh with the engagement factor but that being said, it could be unavoidable uh, in smaller organizations. You're going to feel all the ebbs and flows and personalities are going to come through that much more sharply. You know, if you're dealing with a, a smaller business and passions may may run a little bit hotter than somebody who's a little bit more distanced in a corporate setting. So it's just a, an interesting thought and just throw out the question of do we do we know of organizations that are are making this distinction well and having success in implementing it? Jeremy, how about getting some commentary and input from you and if you yeah. would like you can take over the monitoring <laughs> I, I don't know but you do a fantastic job i'm sitting here thinking like how cool would it be to have like a a, a duel between you and tom like a moderating duel or some kind of competition you're absolutely fantastic i'm just like hanging out it's great um a couple things that uh as i've been listening there are some resources that we have. They're free resources on cboc.com. There's a, a reference tab. Something Itzel said that made me think. We, there, there's a guide there about onboarding and how to create more of an, an experience there. And then there's also a blog. It's probably not that good. I wrote it and it was probably a couple of years old, but something like getting ROI on the salaries that you're paying. I forget what the title is. But it's a way to like, okay, we're paying salaries for people. How can we actually engage them? I have no idea what I wrote about, but it's there. And you guys can check out the blog section. There's lots There's lots of blogs. Rich Cruz, is Rich still here? Rich, uh, he's, he's published a couple and ha- has a couple more great ones coming up. So check out our blogs there. Back to the whole thing on providing that... Um, in- empowerment and I, I guess i'm so used to calling out autonomy i i like i like empowerment when you shift I, i'm taking there's a couple notes and this is back to the the volkswagen titled reference that we're using today i'll just read directly for a second employees that stay in an organization for a long period of time already have the knowledge of processes and the skills to accomplish tasks depending on that level of employee shifting a certain power and allowing the employees to participate in the decision-making process will not only allow them to be more creative and have more creative, innovative ideas, but also increases their job satisfaction levels. This next point, next sentence really struck me. The stress of work task will be divided, creating a friendlier environment and increasing efficiency and the effectiveness levels of the organization. The stress of work tasks will be divided. I think about, I mean, that's to me, like those, those, couple sentences together, it's a lot to think about because we have, of course, the obstacles of giving that power away and allowing people to make decisions. But if you're going to be one, if you're looking for innovation and creativity, which hopefully at some level, if you're hiring an employee, you want some level of creativity and innovation from them. It's not true in all cases. I'll share an example in a a minute. But again, Lindan, this goes back to your point from way earlier. Why stifle? I mean, we, it goes back to, oh gosh, I can't remember. It, it'll come to me, but 
Conley and Zagrami, quote from them. Uh, I, I've mentioned this on several podcasts. Every day, it's something like every day, the spirits of millions of employees die at the front door of their workplace. That's pretty sad. Or <laughs> on their Zoom of, the, of their workplace. But I think about this in terms of the, the stress. So you have work tasks. If people feel more empowered in that autonomy to make these decisions, the stress re- like relieves them. I was, ta- I was talking to, I, w- I was doing a coaching session with someone the other day, and we got into this conversation about employees and an organizational restructure, and it somehow led into to talking about teenagers and, and kids of, of different people as well, and how sometimes kids and, and employees, especially new ones, they're on that, like, hey, I've only been here for three months. Hey, I've only been here for six months. And they're kind of like walking on eggshells just a little bit. And they don't feel that empowered. So it's all, hey, can you do this? Can you do this? And employees want to get it right. So they're constantly just like contacting their supervisor. Is it okay if I do this? But it's a weird little paradox there too, because there's some level where the boss is saying, stop, you know, leave me alone. <laughs> you know how to do this. We hired you, go ahead and do it. But then when the employee does it, the boss is like, why'd you do that? And it's the same thing with parenting. There's a lot of things. And I'm a big fan of this. Anytime someone presents you with, and this goes right along with empowerment. Anytime in life, anyone presents you with a problem, turn it right back around and keep it their problem. It then becomes a matter of logistics and logistics of solving that problem. So if somebody comes to you and says, like, how would I approach X, Y, Z? Or no, no, no. Someone comes with you problem, say, hey, look, we don't have, can't staff for this weekend. What can you do? You might just turn around and ask them a question. In a perfect world, what would this staffing look like? What's something that you've always wanted to try but haven't? I, who knows what the question is? But turn that question around because that will empower that person to think on a deeper level than I'm going to go to my boss and ask. It'll allow them to, to, it'll retrain their brain to start thinking about things differently. And sometimes I was talking to a friend the other day and his, his son, who's like teenager or preteen, said uh, something about how do I, like, can you help me do this? And he just simply looked at his son and he said, you're one of the smartest kids I know, like way above your age too. I know you'll figure it out. The son came back within five minutes and had this hugely complex problem figured out. Because sometimes it's a matter of, yes, we want to be helpful and we want to empower others. But it all goes back to, I'm thinking about this, when you empower people, how that can actually reduce that stress. And some, if you guys are, if, if you managers out there, if you leaders out there are, do, are doing this, great. But all in, environments aren't the same. I was talking to somebody yesterday who, I guess they're, it was earlier this week, they're something like the, you know, they're like a lower level employee. And I think they're maybe like one of the VPs or something reached out from for coffee and Hey, can we meet up? I want to talk to you about this. Like a good conversation. I've seen your creativity and being diligent, understanding this, you know, perhaps toxic environment of the workplace. This person emailed boss and copied the boss's boss and said, Hey, just so you know, I'll be meeting with the VP. They got within a couple minutes, they got an email sent back. No, 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 no. You can't do that. It's our policy. Our policy is that certain levels of employees can't meet however many levels up. You just can't do it. I don't, I mean, I don't, I was a little taken aback. I get a policy is a policy, but there's just something, there's something a little off there. I don't know exactly what, I mean, I know what it is, but there's probably more to what I'm thinking. Linda Ann, back to you. I wonder if that organization also has an open door, quote, open door policy. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, they they all do, of course, right? <laughs> I wanted to just give an example for for one of the clients that I'm working with. We've gone through a process of expanding their. It's it's just a smaller organization. It's like uh, I don't know, twelve to fifteen people, and I've been working with the founder and have suggested on a couple of occasions that we basically have bring this topic up to the team. Right. And what's happened, and I think it's been very surprising to the the owner, is once we get in that environment, and part of the the reason that this works is because it's a safe environment, that he's created a safe environment. But the enthusiasm for solving the problem and just running with it and and making things happen has really surprised him in some ways. And it's but done two things. One, it helped him realize that his team is is so capable and how much he has been, could have been taking on more than he needed to and stifling the team, right? So if he allows some of the team to do what, what needs to be done to move this organization forward, set it up for scalability and all those kinds of things, he needs to step back and let it go because they can do it. But he's just learning how much more capable they are than he ever realized in in doing that. And I think that's where the roadblock is for a lot of leaders or managers, however you want to term that, is they don't realize how stifling what they think their knowledge base is. And, you know, we had a conversation about it and he indicated, he says, wow, I thought I knew everything eight months ago. And I realize now how much I didn't know. And so I think there's there's some of that revelation that needs to take place in leadership. It's it's tough in that position, too, because it's every even the best leader. There's always something to learn. There's always something to learn, something new to experience. And it is tough. I think one of the best things an organization can do is I forget what they're called. That has a name, something like, I don't know, a strategic emergency team. I don't know what it is. Basically this is what you do. You get 10 people, maybe eight, maybe seven, maybe six, Linda. And I don't know the exact number, but you get some people and you get them from like, you just say, all right, well, who are our departments and who are our different levels? And you more or less just randomly pick, you don't have to do it randomly, but you can, you just randomly pick employees at different from the, from the very bottom to the very top at each department. And when you have a tough organizational problem or a tough whatever it may be, maybe it's very situational, maybe it's just department related, you get them in a room and you just have them throw around ideas because you get so many of those different those different perspectives. And it's just one of those, you, you're just absolutely amazed at what comes out of it. And I guarantee you when that's done, that those six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10 or more people, I guarantee they leave that meeting and I guarantee they're more productive for a, a, a good period of time. And if you keep doing it, guess what happens? So back to you, Linda Ann, you can keep the, please keep the role and then I'll let you go to Nick. There we go. Um, yeah. It's, and it can be really exciting, you know, and then they, they can take some of those things off their plate that have been weighting them down, right? They've got too much on their plate anyway. So it's like, what do you want to give up? What, Cause they can do it. Nick, help us out here. I'll do my best. I was I caught by what Jeremy said about somebody referencing parenthood um, as far as kind of the managerial skills you need for kids also translates to, to new hires from time to time. Um, somebody recently kind of said, you know, it's a shame that we have the, the Internet in our pocket all the time because you'll get into a conversation with somebody and you'll talk about, well, who won such and such championship in, in such and such a year and people will automatically just jump to the phone. 
And he actually said, you know, my circle of friends, we have kind of this rule. We've got to we've got to talk it out and give our, our best guess first before we go and fact check. And I think that there's so many knee-jerk reactions in organizations go to the policy or that they don't stop and think about that that individual situation. They don't put it in context. They don't try and kind of roll it around before just going to the easy default, I'm going to look it up sort of situation. So I think that the engagement works both ways. Not only do we have to engage with employees, but you know the people who are there, the managers, need to kind of engage the process themselves. And again, that comes down to culture and all these changes that are bigger and it, it's quite striking to me, you know, kind of the social commentary that everybody has a horror story about a, a bad manager and about not being empowered, about all these things that, you know, we're trying to change. And the fact that these systems are set up the way that they are, that, you know, it, it's a it's a big, big hill to climb. And hopefully we can we can get through it. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I years ago, I, I had a team and and when we had came up with problems and I would let them work it out and facilitate the discussion process. And sometimes we came up with two really, really good solutions, right? That had equal um, merit. And so that was what I would call, that was my facilitating, my job as, as the leader was to be the tiebreaker in there. I would call it make an executive decision, but yeah, they can come up with such amazing things. Jeremy, let's go to you. Nick mentioned the, the the context of things, and I was looking back at, as I do, I was looking back at this article, and it made me think of something. The gist here, in order to improve employee retention, the company needs to keep certain implications in mind, which include, but are not limited to, and there's one one that got me. Hiring the right people at the right time, of course, empowering employees and treating them as valuable assets, providing training and knowledge, providing feedback keeping the standards of morale of employees high. And then this one, having faith in the individuals that have been chosen. That goes back to, I think, what everything we're saying. And it made me think of what Nick said with context. If you're leading a team, and this kind of goes back to what I said a, a little bit ago about just pick, you know, have that get 10 people in different levels of the organization. If you're on, if, if this, if a manager stranded on a, on a deserted island, shipwrecked with those 10 people or any 10 people within the organization, there's no talent. There, there, it's, there's less likely of that talent to get wasted. It's going to be all hands on deck for 10 people trying to survive in the middle of nowhere. You're going to find out who can do what and who is good at what and who can be trusted for what really quick. So maybe just change the context of the problem. Maybe, again, it, it just goes to good leadership where you're just visioning out and you're visioning different situations. You're mind mapping out how... To again, squeeze the talent out of the salaries that you're paying. But think about if on a deserted island in that tough situation, you would be really motivated to find out and to utilize everyone's strengths, what's keeping you from doing it in your current workplace? That's my thought. Well, thank you for that, Jeremy. My pleasure. <laughs> I'd love to hear about... What your experiences have been with empowerment and your ability to either execute it or been where you've been empowered in a situation in an organization and, and how that was successful for you. Anybody want to share an experience with us on the on the stage here? And then the first question is who has so I guess leading into that. Has everyone here felt empowered at, at, at some point? Can you got can you guys think of a of a specific moment? All right, good. Rich, you're shaking your head and giving the thumbs up. So that's my leeway into Rich. Would you like to? Oh, that's how that's how this works. Huh? 
<laughs> I got voluntold again. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, look, when you when you come in, when you step into, you know, some of the positions that I've been in, marketing director, VP of marketing, those types of things, you get empowered. You know, there, there's there's that power that's given to you, you know, at that point. You know, I do try to I do try to establish a little bit of referent power too, you know, so you know, being the the SME. And I think there's where I my interest in in um change management and organizational development came into play and why I went into IO psychology really is because what I've worked with and I've predominantly worked with family-owned businesses. I've I, I, I charted out this this career path, you know, of mine, and and really, the, one of the one of the drivers is always uh, succession. At some point, I I want to retire. I want to give this to my kids, but my kids aren't interested in this, so I need to pass it on to somebody else. You know, so when there when there's not this willingness to share. And, and be transparent about processes and information. You know, I th I think those organizations are the ones that kind of flail and uh, have issues. But I'll tell you, the ones that I've seen that adopt things like entrepreneurial operating system EOS, uh, which is from if anybody's ever seen a uh, Gino Wickman, it's uh, he they they have uh, Rocket Fuel and Traction. Those are two books that I, I think are worth uh, take a look at if you're working with. You know, small businesses, but the whole c culture in that is having these uh, like the level ten meetings is what they call, and they have scorecards, and it it shares all the information that people, the pertinent information that people need to know about the health of the organization. So it's it's very very open and honest, and it and it empowers everybody in the room. To contribute because they're all have they all have their own scorecards and they're based on what are called rocks, which are goals, right? So we're going all the way back to you know goal setting theory, action theory, you know, um, lay them and, and and all that, right? And and people don't really know you know what what the theory is behind that, except that those smart goals, which we hear all the time, right? And we involve people in that goal setting process. They're much more motivated to to do things. So the organizations that I've seen that have adopted that type of structure, they have longevity. They've been in business for many many years. They 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 uh, maybe even multi generational businesses. But there there's some systematization that's been done that keeps the continuity of the business going. The ones that don't, that's what happens, right? So yeah, yeah. Family businesses are a, a very complex system a lot of different layers of hierarchy and communication and all those kinds of things nick let's go to you to wrap us up today well i think that we all again we're a room full of, of optimists but i think one time i can recall being empowered in work uh I was in college i was bartending and i just started and it was a saturday afternoon the the, the football game and let out in the stadium um, at the time was out on the, the edge of town. And so there was always kind of a delay in people getting back into to Fort Collins proper. And so we knew the game was over and we we're trying to figure out, well, is the rush going to hit or not? And I, you know, that had enough of the other person who was on. I was like, let's get rid of them and, you know, it'll be fine. And the manager said, are you sure? And, and kind of, you know, in one way or another empowered me to make that decision. And sure enough, as soon as he walked out the door, everybody came in and started sitting down. So I was overloaded with you know drinks from the restaurant having to take care of my own tables and everything like that and people were 
begging, begging the manager at the time. She was, you know, she's like, he's got to learn. And so, you know, they're like, go, go save him, go save him. And she said, not, not quite yet, not quite yet. And so it was an example that has stuck with me for, for a very long time, not only because it was a high stress, high reaction situation, and there were several mistakes that kind of happened out of it, but there was also kind of the follow-up of you chose this, this is what happened are we going to let it happen again? So there was a teaching moment kind of after the follow-up. It was, was I set up to be as successful as I could have been? No. Um, was I set up to fail to some degree? Yes, but it was my own words and my own situation. And, you know, it was, okay, let's trace the consequences of your actions and and take it moving forward. So I think there there are some teaching moments and there has to be that sort of follow-up of you can't just empower somebody and let them, you know, run off with the, the four winds. You have to kind of keep the, the boundaries clear and, you know, make sure that there is follow-up, there is, you know, processing of what went well, what went wrong, and, and what was the performance like with the autonomy that she gave this person to make those sort of decisions on <laughs> what they're capable of. And maybe you learn real quick that you, your, your eyes are bigger than your stomach uh, sometimes when you, when you dish out what you think you can handle. Yeah. And usually in those kinds of situations, those are lessons that you remember forever, right? Obviously. And if she had just corrected you you wouldn't that you would still have that doubt in the back of your mind well i think we could have done this right so and alexander i saw that you had your hand up a minute ago are you still willing to give us some tidbits of knowledge or are you out for now mine was on the family aspect i think you tend to see a lot of the families kind of view it as much of a choice it kind of comes up to these families almost trying to provide a little bit better life for their kids Coming from a more English background on that aspect of it, it's the first child's duty. It's not a choice. You have a system that you have to be able to achieve these certain things. You have a lot of people who depend on you for jobs to be able to provide them for their continued lifestyles and such. So to be able to lose land where people lose homes and jobs, it becomes a very much of a duty and not so much of a choice, which I think we tend to see a lot of American families during those succession periods give their kids a choice to almost take on the business where they felt actually instilling their kids that this is really, you're going to be sacrificing a bit of your life to help protect your community. And that is a bit where I tend to see a lot of American communities suffer in those regards to some of the old style of ways that it used to be done. Very different perspective. Thank you for that. Jeremy, would you like to wrap us up and give us an idea of what's coming up during these holiday times? Yeah, sure. And to thinking about what Alexander said, if if anyone's out there, if you're doing your own research or looking up some articles, kind of like how we start off here, feel free to go. Looking up employee engagement and empowerment in general will be a, will give you some different results than if you look up employee engagement and empowerment in a family-owned business. So you you get, I mean, and this is where you you look into like the generalizability of study results. Study results from the healthcare industry and a country overseas isn't necessarily going to be the same demographic, yada, yada, be exactly generalizable to, to here in the States, for example, for manufacturing. So just keep that in mind. But yes, we've got, we are uh, we'll have we'll have our podcast uh, next Thursday. We're going to do this again next Thursday. It's uh, from burnout to balance, redefining work life integration. If anyone's in the Rocky Mountain, we've got some in person meetups that we just posted. There's going to be an in person meetup in Salt Lake City, Utah, on January 16th. All this is at cbock.com/events. And there's also one in Colorado. I know we've got some 
Coloradans. What is that? The name Coloradans. Is that close? Did I get it right? Get out of here. All right. So that's going to be, um, and this will be posted probably by tomorrow, Denver on January 30th at Edgewater Public Market in Edgewater, Colorado. And then, of course, we've got, we will have the Job Seeker Meetup. Believe it or not, Kayla said, we're going to do one on New Year's Day. She said it might not be a lot of people there, but it is towards the evening. So people have time to recover. But New Year's Day, we still have a Job Seeker Meetup. And then, of course, uh, you can go to cbuck.com slash events for all the other virtual stuff and the member-only sessions and yada, yada, yada. Thank you, Linda. And I'll go ahead and count us out. Counting out in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? At seabock.com.